Chapter 8 Noah and the Ark And the Lord said unto Noah, Come thou and all thy house into the ark. Genesis chapter 7 verse 1 Noah was one of the most remarkable men in the world's history. He stands out absolutely alone of all the men of his day. He was the one man whom God chose out of the whole human race, then living, to be the head of a new race. The story of the flood is a most amazing one, so unusual indeed that one's first impulses is to question its historicity. But it has abundant confirmation even outside the Bible. Legends of a universal flood are found nearly everywhere that men are found. The cuneiform tablets of Central Asia, the Bhagavadas of ancient India, the legend of Deucalion in Greece present well-documented stories of the flood. The traditions of the Cree Indians in the north, and of the natives of Orinoco in the south, and of China on the east also picture a great flood. Mexico in the southwest, Scandinavia in the far north, and the ancient Celts all contain accounts of such a flood. The three great branches of the human race, the Turanians, Semites, and Aryans, all have it. So it is evident that this extraordinary story of the flood has abundant historical confirmation outside of the very plain and very full and very precise statements of the Bible. But more important than all of this is that the Old Testament story has the endorsement of Jesus Christ. You cannot doubt the truth of the story of the flood as recorded in the book of Genesis without discrediting Jesus Christ. If this story is not true, then Jesus Christ was a fool, for he expressed in the most unmistakable terms his belief in the truth of the story. Yes, if this story is not true, Jesus was worse than a fool. He was a fraud. He claimed to be a teacher sent from God who spoke the very words of God, and if the story of the flood is not true, if it is not accurate history, then Jesus accepted an idle tale as true history. Then his claim to be a teacher sent from God who spoke the very words of God was false, and he was a gross impostor. Not only the credibility but also the honor of Jesus Christ are involved in the truthfulness and accuracy of this Old Testament story of the flood. But Jesus Christ's claims to have been a teacher sent from God who spoke the very words of God are abundantly substantiated. They are so abundantly substantiated that no one can thoroughly and candidly study the conclusive proofs of the truth of his claims and not believe in them. Consequently, he must believe in the truth of the story of the flood, which Jesus Christ so explicitly and fully endorsed. So it is certain that the story of the flood as recorded in the book of Genesis is true history. It is true that the world was swept away in judgment by a flood. And Noah and his family, eight persons in all alone, were saved of all members of the Adamic race, then living on the earth. Why was Noah saved? The Bible tells us. Noah was saved by grace. In the first place, Noah was saved because he found grace in the sight of the Lord. God's own statement is, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Genesis chapter 6 verse 8. Noah was not necessarily saved because he deserved to be saved. He was saved by grace. He was not saved because he was sinless. It is true that he was righteous, Genesis chapter 7 verse 1 says so. 
Hebrews chapter 11 verse 7 tells us that Noah's righteousness was a righteousness of faith. The exact words are, Noah became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 7. Noah's righteousness was the kind of righteousness that is open to every one of us, even open to the vilest sinner on earth. Noah was a sinner. He was not sinless. He was far from it. He was far from perfect. He got drunk even after the flood and his wonderful deliverance. Genesis chapter 9 verse 21. Of course, he had more of an excuse for getting drunk than you and I would have today. He did not understand the effects of alcohol as fully as we do, but he surely must have known that it was not right to get drunk. He was a sinner saved by grace. So must we be sinners saved by grace if we are saved at all, and we all can be saved in that way. Not one of us can be saved in any other way. God's word is as plain as day on that point, and universal experience confirms God's word on this point. God says there is no difference, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Romans chapter 3 verses 22 through 24. And he says again, For by grace have ye been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8. Noah was saved by faith. In the second place, Noah was saved because he believed God. As God puts it in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 7, by faith, Noah, being warned of God concerning things not seen as yet, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house. God told Noah that there was to be a flood, and Noah believed him. Noah believed that there was to be a flood just because God said so. He had no other reason whatever for believing it. He asked for no other reason for believing it. The wisest philosopher on earth is the man who has sense enough to believe what an infinitely wise God who cannot lie says, even if he has no other ground for believing it. And there is no bigger fool on earth than the would-be philosopher who doubts anything God says simply because he has no other ground for believing it than God's unsupported word. The wisest man of his day said, Seest thou a man wise in his own conceit? There is more hope of a fool than of him. Proverbs chapter 26 verse 12. The puny, self-styled philosophers and would-be scientists of our day who are so wise in their own conceit that they venture to doubt God's word because it does not agree with some of their educated notions would do well to lay this wise utterance of Solomon's to heart. The Lord said, There is to be a flood, and Noah had sense enough to believe it with all his heart just because God said so. Thus he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 7. And by his wise action in this matter, he not only condemned the world that existed then, but he also condemned a very large share of the world that now is. Happy is the man today who has as good sense in this matter as Noah had so many centuries ago. There was no sign of a flood, the sun rose and set year after year, just as it always had. The laws of nature moved in their uniform course. No man of science saw anything indicative of an approaching flood. 
But God said to Noah, There is to be a flood, and Noah believed it. People tried to laugh him out of it. They pointed to the steady course of the seasons and the uniformity of nature. They pointed to the fact that all of the great scientists were against him, and the theologians and the scholarly critics were all against him. Indeed, all kinds of scholars were against him. In fact, he stood entirely alone. Nevertheless, Noah stuck to his faith in God's word. Many doubtless said, Noah, you are mistaken in thinking it is God's word. It is not God's word. If it were God's word, our great men would believe it. Some doubtless said that there was no God anyway, and that all this belief in God and God's word was mere empty superstition. But Noah believed God in the face of it all, and it was well for him that he did. Unquestionably believing God's word saved him and his whole family from utter destruction. You and I must be saved in exactly the same way if we are saved at all. We also have God's word. The proof that this book is God's word is overwhelmingly conclusive, and God's word, as found in this book, tells of another coming judgment. It tells us that in that judgment, many will be eternally lost. God's word about that is not generally believed. Many men of science do not believe it, and today many theological professors do not believe it, and some preachers even ridicule the idea. Many scoff at the very idea of God having a word at all, and some even question whether there is a God. But there is a God, and this book is God's word. That can be easily proven. And God's word says that there is to be a judgment of all mankind, Acts chapter 17 verse 31. And God's word about that judgment, just like God's word about the flood, will be fulfilled to the letter. Our salvation depends upon our holding fast to God's word and believing it to the very letter, in spite of objections and sneers and erroneous arguments of men, even of scholarly men. Oh, happy is the man who has sense enough to learn from the unvarying history of the past and believes what God says in spite of the proud unbelief of men, no matter who they may be. Noah was saved by obedience. In the third place, Noah was saved because he obeyed God. Scripture And the Lord said unto Noah, Come thou and all thy house into the ark. Genesis chapter 7 verse 1 And Noah came and brought all his house with him just as God had bidden him to do. Genesis chapter 7 verse 5 Noah's faith was a real faith. Noah's faith was not a mere opinion of the head. That sort of faith will not save anyone. Noah's faith was a faith of the heart, a faith that acts upon what it believes and obeys the God it believes in. That is the only kind of faith that saves anybody. God said, Make thee an ark, Genesis chapter 6 verse 14, and he told Noah exactly how to make it. Noah made the ark exactly according to God's specifications. He attempted no improvements of his own upon God's plans. He was wise enough to do exactly as God told him. The ark God commanded him to build was on a vast scale, and it must have seemed like a huge undertaking. Not only that, it must have also seemed like an absurd undertaking, and it was a very expensive undertaking. No doubt Noah was ridiculed. 
no doubt men tried to dissuade him. No doubt some of his most judicious and trusted friends pointed out more profitable ways to invest his money and more pleasant ways to employ his time. But Noah went right on doing exactly what God told him to do. It is probable that he put all that he had into that old ark. He had nothing to base his hopes on but God's word, but that was enough. It was well for him that he relied on it. It is always well to depend on God's word. Very likely it cost Noah his entire fortune to build the ark, and when the last nail was driven, he had nothing left. But when he came out of the ark, he owned the whole earth. It was all his. There were no rival claimants. His title was clear and indisputable. All the men who had laughed at him were dead. They had lost everything. Noah had gained everything. So will it be with you and me if we obey God. The one who obeys God may lose everything for the time being, but he will gain everything for eternity, for he becomes an heir of God and a joint heir with Christ. Romans chapter 8 verse 17. God told Noah to build the ark for his own salvation and the salvation of his house. What does God command us to do for our salvation and that of our house? Acts chapter 16 verse 31 answers the question. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved and thy house. God commands us to believe on Jesus Christ, not to believe about Him, but to believe on Him. In other words, we need to accept Him, to take Him, to take Him as our Savior and to take Him as our Lord and Master. We must surrender absolutely to His will and confess Him as our Lord and Master before the world. John chapter 1 verse 12 and Romans chapter 10 verses 9 through 10. Do that and you shall have life, eternal life. You will be ridiculed if you do. No doubt about that. If some young men who listen to these words accept Christ, their companions will make fun of them tomorrow morning. If some businessman accepts and confesses Christ, some of his business friends will make fun of him. If some wives accept Jesus Christ now, their husbands will certainly ridicule them. It may cost any of these persons a good deal. It may cost some of them their position. It may cost some of them all they have in the world, just as it cost Noah. But it will pay. In one sense, they will gain more than even Noah did, though he gained the whole earth they will gain an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 4 They will become heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. They may have to suffer with Christ, but the old book of God says, If so be that we suffer with Him, that we shall be also glorified with Him. Romans chapter 8, verses 16-17 through 17. When Noah came out of the ark, safe, and found the whole earth his, I do not think he regretted the ridicule he had endured, nor the money he had expended. And when you, who listen to my words, stand before God and all things are yours for all eternity, you will not regret the ridicule you may have endured, nor the money you have expended because of your belief in Jesus Christ and your obedience to God. On the other hand, when those who had ridiculed Noah saw the flood rising, they wished they too had invested all in an ark 
and were safely housed inside. So in the judgment day that is surely coming on this old world, those who sneer at the Christian now and ridicule the Christian now will wish that they too had invested their all in Jesus Christ. There were no more skeptics when the flood had done its work, and there will be no more skeptics or agnostics or theosophists in the judgment day. There will be a good many of you gentlemen and ladies who will wish you never had been skeptics or agnostics or theosophists or Christian scientists, falsely so called. I tell you, the smart young man who has caught a few of the stock phrases and arguments of modern infidelity and goes around laughing at preachers and Christians and those who invite him to the church and to Christ will wish in that day that he had possessed more sense and had not ridiculed them. Noah was saved because he accepted God's invitation. In the fourth place, Noah was saved because he accepted God's invitation. God had said, Come thou and all thy house into the ark, and Noah just came. It was not merely the invitation that saved Noah, but also his acceptance of the invitation. That is what will decide the matter with each one of us. We are all invited. God says, Whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. Revelation chapter 22 verse 17. The Lord Jesus says, Him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. John chapter 6 verse 37. Will you accept the invitation or will you decline it? It is just as true of many today as it was when our Lord said it, when he was here upon earth. Ye will not come to me, that ye might have life. John chapter 5 verse 40. And that is the sole reason why they are lost. They won't accept the invitation. A friend of mine told me a story many years ago. I do not know where he heard it, and of course I cannot vouch for its truth, but it exactly illustrates my point. He said that a certain rich Christian worker who wished to illustrate how men are saved by simply accepting the gospel invitation offered to pay the debts of everyone who came to his office for that purpose. Most men naturally regarded it as a hoax or a trick of some kind and did not go to his office. One man believed it, at least enough to try it. He went, and the rich worker paid every penny of his debts. That man was saved from his burden of debt by accepting the invitation. The invitation was for all, but only the one who accepted it received the salvation offered in it. Noah accepted God's invitation to come into the ark and was saved. And every one of us who accepts God's invitation to come into Jesus Christ by accepting Him as our personal Savior, surrendering to Him as our Lord, and confessing Him as such before the world will be saved. Everyone who does not accept God's invitation to come into Christ will be lost. It is up to every one of you to say for yourself whether you will be saved or whether you will be lost, whether you will spend eternity in heaven or whether you will spend eternity in hell. You decide that by your decision as to whether you will accept God's invitation or decline God's invitation. Noah accepted the invitation for his family as well as for himself. He took them in with him. The whole family was gathered in. The record reads, And Noah went in, and his sons and his wife, and his sons' wives with him into the ark. 
Genesis chapter 7 verse 7. It has been said that it speaks well for Noah that in the midst of such prevailing unbelief, his whole household had such faith in the old man that they all accompanied him into the ark. Perhaps it speaks even better for his consistency, integrity, and nobility of character that his daughters-in-law had as much confidence in him as his own sons. It is certainly more than can be said of many professing Christian parents today that every member of their household follows them in the acceptance of Christ. I think the Bible plainly indicates that when a man's family does not come along with him, it is somehow the parent's fault. There is some screw loose somewhere in his character or his conduct. He is worldly, or unloving, or not strictly truthful, or unchristian somewhere. Or he may neglect persistent prayer or wise, spirit-filled personal effort. In any case, God is saying, Come thou and all thy house into the ark. And he says in Acts chapter 16 verse 31, Believe on the Lord Jesus, and thou shalt be saved, thou and thy house. I do not see how any Christian man or woman can rest while even one child is out of the ark. Suppose Noah had found Shem, Ham, or Japheth lacking. Do you not think he would have made a strenuous effort to find him and bring him in? In the first church of which I was a pastor, there were two women who were members of the church. One of these women, a farmer's wife, had a large family of children, but she saw to it that every one of them was saved. Several of them became missionaries. At least three of them are missionaries at the present time. The other women's children were unsaved. The woman who had brought her own children to Christ one by one went to the other woman in a time of deep religious interest and tried to stir her up to win her own children to Christ. But the woman replied, Oh, I believe they will all be saved, sometime. But they were not. One of them, at least, is dead now, and died outside of Christ. Dr. George Pentecost once talked with a young man whose mother was a professing Christian. The young man sneered at Christianity and at Christians. Dr. Pentecost said to him, Oh, you think then that Christians are weak in their minds, that they have a soft spot in their brains somewhere, or that they are hypocrites? The young man replied, Well, I don't like to put it just that way, but that is about what I think. But, said Dr. Pentecost, isn't your mother a Christian? Yes. Is your mother weak-minded, or is she a hypocrite? You have no right to speak that way of my mother, the young man hotly replied. No, but you said that all Christians had a soft spot in their brains somewhere, and you say your mother is a Christian. The young man blushed, hesitated, and then replied, If my mother really is a Christian, why then has she never spoken to me about my soul? That is what some of your children are thinking of some of you professing Christians. Which one of your children are you willing to have lost? Oh, if you have an unsaved child, let God's invitation sink down to the very depths of your heart. Come thou and all thy house into the ark. The Lord shut him in. One more thing. Let me call your attention to five wonderfully expressive words in the biblical account of the flood. They are found in Genesis chapter 7, verse 16. And the Lord shut him in. When God shut the door of that ark, Noah was safe. The torrential rains might fall from above, the earth might subside beneath, 
The waters of the sea might rush in upon the doomed land, but Noah was safe inside the ark built according to God's pattern. And so it is with us once we are in the ark built according to God's pattern, when we are in Christ by accepting Him with our whole heart, when we accept Christ fully as our Savior, surrender to Him unreservedly as our Lord, and gladly confess Him as such before the world, God shuts us in and we are safe. There may be appalling storms, there may be fierce tempests, there may be an awful judgment day. We may be weak in ourselves, but we are safe. That awful great tribulation of which the Bible so often speaks and toward which things seem to be so rapidly moving today, in Russia and Germany and England and even in America, may come, but we are safe, shut in the ark. And our Lord Jesus Himself says in John chapter 10, verses 28-29, through 29, I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, and no one shall snatch them out of my hand. My Father, which hath given them unto me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. It was not any strength or goodness of his own that made Noah safe in that awful day. It was being in the ark that made him safe. It is not any strength or goodness that you or I may have that makes us safe. It is being in Christ Jesus, being in the ark made on God's pattern, thoroughly well built. That ark will stand any storm. But the door that shut Noah and his family in also shut the unbelieving world out. And when the door was once shut, the day of grace was ended. The door had stood open many years. Scripture the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was a preparing. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 20 God's long-suffering grace had waited one hundred years and more, but the day of grace was over. The day of grace will soon be over with you. The door is still open. It will be shut someday. It will be shut for some of you before another year passes. It will be shut for some of you before another month passes it will be shut for some of you before another week passes. It will be shut for some of you before another day passes. Of course, I do not know who the people are who will listen to this solemn declaration. But whoever you are, do not presume on God's long-suffering mercy. Note the solemn words of Him who proved His love by dying to save you. When once the master of the house is risen up and hath shut to the door, and ye begin to stand without, and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us, and he shall answer and say to you, I know you not whence ye are. Luke chapter 13, verse 25. Let's think back to the last day of the antediluvian world. One of the most wonderful paintings I ever saw is Scorn's picture of the deluge in the new Alta Pinakothek in Munich, Germany. The painting is unfinished, but it is a masterpiece. That day broke bright and clear as other days had. There was little sign of any approaching catastrophe. Noah had gone into the ark. The animals had gathered from near and far and gone in too, and the people had been a little startled by this strange procession of animals coming from the four points of the compass. But seven days had gone by since then, and nothing had happened, and their fright had passed away. Genesis chapter 7 verses 4 through 10. 
These seven days were seven days of deposed mercy. Not only had their fear passed away, so also had their opportunity. Men and women went about their ordinary pursuits again. Scripture. They were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the very day that Noah entered into the ark. Matthew chapter 24 verse 38. Evening came on. The streets were crowded with people. In many a house there were gay festal scenes. The sun went down in a cloud. There were rumblings of distant thunder. Men laugh and say, This is a striking coincidence. Old Noah said the flood would come today, and really it does look like rain. The more timid are fearful. The rain begins to patter in the streets, and people hurry on to their destination. Now the storm bursts in its fury. The heavens are illumined with white and purple light. Then all is dark. The thunder roars and reverberates. The water falls in cloud bursts. The earth seems to be sinking. It is sinking. It is slowly sinking beneath the level of the sea. The waters of the lake overflow, and the Caspian Sea will soon burst its ancient barriers and flood the entire inhabited earth. Yes, the waters are pouring in now. The fountains of the great deep are broken up. Terror-stricken men and women with ashen faces flee from theaters, ballrooms, and homes to the hills and to the mountains. Still the land is sinking and the waters are rising. The beasts of prey forget their savage instincts and cower beside terror-stricken men and women. Higher and higher rise the waters. Strong men fight with feeble women for the place of vantage. The waters sweep over a low hill, and a hundred souls huddled upon it are swept into eternity. Look, on yonder hill stand a husband and wife alone. The waters are fast coming nearer and nearer. With her former love turned into savage hate, the woman turns on the man she has loved and cries, Man, you have deceived me, ruined me. I longed to enter the ark and you laughed me out of it. The remorseless waters sweep them away together. Look again. There is a maiden. She also had longed to enter the ark, but none of her friends had gone in, and she was unwilling to go alone. The waters sweep her away on their angry bosom, and soon the fair face sinks beneath the flood. Farther out is a man who had mocked Noah's faith, but now fear and agony are depicted on his distorted countenance. Then it sinks beneath the flood. A young man, who has pondered long in indecision, turns an appealing look toward heaven, but it is too late, and he too sinks beneath the engulfing waters. Thus they go down, singly, by pairs, by hundreds, until the last man of the unbelieving world has disappeared. The end has come. The whole land is submerged. Not an unbeliever left. But in the distance floats the ark of God in safety. While the moon sheds its gentle light upon the unbroken surface of the great deep, there is another day of doom fast approaching. God tells us in this book, He hath appointed a day in the which He will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom He hath ordained, whereof He hath given assurance unto all men, in that He hath raised Him from the dead. Acts chapter 17 verse 31. Are you ready for that day? Come into the ark. Believe God. Obey God. Accept the invitation. 
accept Jesus Christ. Confess Him before the world. Let the world laugh if it will. Some of you in the deepest impulses of your heart would like to get right down on your knees now and beg God for mercy. Do it. Don't mind what people say. Don't mind who laughs. Come into the ark.